Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. My name is Janice. If you didn't catch that, I'm one of the staff here at the city. And it's my privilege, my pleasure to be bringing the word to you today. I hope you're feeling great. I hope you've got your Bibles with you. Now, I would encourage you, if you don't have a physical copy right now, to run over and grab one. Uh, we'll be jumping around. But yeah, uh, so this morning, what we're going to do is dive right into back to our series, First Peter series. And so if you're ready, say yes in the comments. Say, I'm ready. Great, let's go. <laughs> just to bring you a re- quick recap, and then uh, we're going to read the text in a bit. Okay, just I, I thought uh, since we had, you know, we were in Miles last week, um, before that, uh, we've done three weeks. I'll just do this brief recap so we're like jog our memory a bit. And then we're going to talk about what we're talking about today. Okay, so for the first three weeks of First Peter, what we did was we talked about the themes, some of the you know main themes in this book that Peter wrote to uh, these people that he referred to as the diaspora, the aliens, the pilgrims, the exiles uh, around Asia Minor. And so we talked about a living hope. And then we talked about how our hope leads to a different way of life. And then uh, two weeks before that, uh, two weeks before today, Pastor Andre uh, brought week three talking about provocative hope and how you know just brilliantly I loved uh, how, how he talked about how we live differently and how we go deeper in the scripture reading and really uh, resume or return to this habit of memorizing in scripture getting into the habit and and we talked about uh, all the things that how it relates to our conduct and how we live and our holiness and and our sense of understanding of who God is and who our identity is in the world and so with that today what we're talking about is exiles in marriage, okay? Uh, today's passage, I'm going to give you some sections, uh, and then I'll give a little bit of, uh, just kind of introduce the context of what we're looking at, uh, and then we'll pray together. Is that cool? Yeah. All right. Now, today's passage, we're taking from First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Well, no, so chapter 2, verse 20 onwards until about chapter 3 verse 7 but the context I thought was necessary to set you up with so that you're on the same page with me is I'm going to just lead you through a little bit before that okay the verses before that so stay with me uh, as Pastor Andre like to say we've got ground to cover. I'm going to try and do <laughs> what I can in this short span. But as I prepped, there was just so much, there's so much richness in this text. And so, um, yeah, okay, let's do that. So sectioning out, uh, if you look at chapter 2, verse 13 to 17, you will see the general idea there is being subject and being uh, the, the, the call that Peter is making to the people who receive this letter or reading his letter to be subject to government, okay, governmental authority. And then verse 18 to 20, you see this call to submit uh, as employee to employer, okay. Uh, I'll see uh, how a little bit more I'll paint Uh, a bit more detail later. But then then you see how he goes on from there to talk from 21 onwards to talk about the example we see in Jesus Christ, right? And then he goes on to chapter 3 where he says, you know, now he speaks into the marriage space. Now, in these sections, right, you see this overall understanding is in verse 13, be subject to every human institution. And then he talks about government, employment, and family marriage. Verse 20, I'll draw your attention to verse 20 real quick. You see there where it says, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if you and you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And this gracious thing is exactly what Peter calls us in terms of having a living hope that leads to a way of life that is different that is distinct as the chosen people of God, right? So there is a contrast out of that identity, our conduct, right? And a calling as the community of God. And so he says to do good and suffer because if you suffer for when you sin, 
what credit is there, right? That's not counter the culture you're living in. But when you do good and suffer and you endure, and that is commendable, that is, in fact, uh, in a different translation, it says, that is beyond what is expected. That is unusual. It is strange. And so that is countercultural. Figure like in Galatians 5, when we talk about fruit of the Spirit, right? When we talk about love, the fruit of joy, the fruit of peace, it's like, oh, great, you know, I love these fruit in my life. And then it moves on to talk about the fruit of the Spirit that is patience, right? You know, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all these things. Then you're like, oh, okay, love, yes. Joy, yes. Peace, yes. Patience, not so much, okay? And so the, the, there, there's this, like, what, what, what uh, is, is beyond it is the fruit of the Spirit that is really formative for us as a person and as a people, right? There, there, there are that which we endure, and even as we're doing good, endure, and that is commendable. It's a gracious thing to God. So look now at verse 21 with me. Are you still there? Okay, this just like setting up, okay? Verse 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. And that called, that word called, is again uh, to remind you another theme that we've been looking at, right? Being the chosen one, being those who are the elect. And to this you have been called, that which is to do good and suffer for it. To this you've been called, and this called, this word is mentioned at least six times in Peter's letter. And he draws our attention to the example, the model to imitate we find in Jesus. Right, Verse 21 to 25, you'll see this. He committed no sin, no deceit was found. So in the face of unjust treatment, in the face of injustice, Jesus was patient. He was long-suffering. He committed himself, verse 23, to the one who judges justly. And you remember in week two, we talked about how God the Father is also the judge who judges impartially, right? That same judge, he judges justly. And, and, and Christ is patient. He committed himself to the just judge, and he kept on persevering for good. So you see the verses tell us in 24, by his wounds we are healed because he endured. He bore our sins all the way to the cross and he died for us so that we may be healed and restored and return to the shepherd of our souls. So in this example of Jesus, he anchors in this, Peter writes about submission. And he says, you know, that God beckons, he's essentially saying God beckons us to this higher calling as people of the heavenly hope. This higher calling that is not as the world lives, right? That God, as confounding for our minds that it is God, accomplished the greatest good for all of humanity, all of created order, out of the greatest injustice that Jesus faced. And in there, as we follow in his footsteps, he calls us to this higher calling to reflect his son, Jesus. Like that refining of gold, where you look into that refined gold and you see a reflection, right? And so we're called to reflect Jesus. The Bible teaches this lovely subject of submission, which I'm sure many of us just can't wait to hear more about, uh, is in many spheres and different relationships how it looks. And it gets pretty practical. right? And the Bible teaches submission in different spheres and very intentionally. So not just Peter. You'll see this in the other epistles as well. With the question now Peter is asking, so how should an exile respond in different relationships? Knowing you're called to a heavenly hope that is imperishable and knowing God calls us to conduct our lives in holiness and knowing that our hope is meant to provoke questions and you know, lead us deeper uh, into knowing him. How should we respond to different relationships and in different spheres? Our calling, this calling to come under the authority of God, the ordinances of God, where there is government, there's employment, and there's family slash marriage. What is that call? I'll just quickly paint these three truths. Again, this is just like page one, okay? So, and, and trust me, you're going to like see where I'm going with this. 
if you don't already. Okay, three, th three truths about biblical submission that I see not just uh, in Peter's writing, but in the other passages about submission as well. Is the submission to authority can be completely consistent with equality in importance, dignity, and honor. Okay, uh, maybe I'll try and explain a little bit like later, okay? This is just broad stroke, you'll stick with me. The slides are on the app. So submission can be completely consistent with an equality in dignity and honor, okay? Second truth is this, that our submission is premised upon the ultimate authority of God. Okay, so it's not just subject to human institution for human institution's sake, but it is for the Lord's sake, as verse 13 says. And it goes on even to say, not just to the good, but even to the unjust. You are subject because it is gracious thing in God's sight. So who's the ultimate authority? God, right? Third, third uh, truth about biblical submission. Submission is really for the purpose of influence, not merely to, we're not condoning wrongdoing or injustice, we're not reinforcing cultural norms that may or may not go against uh, God's teachings, but it is for influence, it is for kingdom influence, not conformity, okay? So these three truths I see uh, as truths about biblical submission, and some would call and phrase it revolutionary subordination, right? And, and what, what does that biblical submission look like? And so Peter then talks about now in chapter 3, verse 1, likewise, okay? If you're at chapter 3, verse 1, what's the first word there? Those who are on site. Very good. Uh, verse 7. Verse 7. What's the first word in verse 7? Likewise. Likewise, wives. Likewise, Husbands, okay? Very important to see these two connecting words. This is not an English lesson, but just saying. Okay, it's very important. Uh, so just as I've been speaking about submission to government, submission to employers, likewise, here is submission in marriage. That's what Peter is saying. All right, so likewise, meaning in the same way, in the same manner, Sub submission in this different sphere, in family, in marriage, how should, so now the question we turn around to ask is how should we respond and reflect Christ with regard to our spouse, okay? In our marriage and in a family. So if you're there, read with me, let's alternate together, especially those on site, let me hear your voice, chapter 2, 21, all the way to chapter 3, verse 7, okay? I'll start. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the ESV version uh, that we just read. So preface, this is partly topical, but like also exegetical. We're going to try to exegete this passage, verse 1 to 7, uh, as much as we can at the time, uh, with help from a couple of sources, just to put some form and phrasing, because it's pretty vast as a subject. And some of the statements or verses, if you don't notice already, can be pretty loaded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's difficult to hear and apply, difficult to speak on, if I may add. Uh, and, you know, just so for the record, if you're not married, don't turn this off because it's not 
irrelevant, okay? Uh, be sure to know that because just as some of these truths apply across the spheres, this will be helpful whether you do get married eventually or not, or when you speak with friends who are married. Yes, very good. So stick with me. This text deals primarily with, if you, if you notice, wives of non-believing husbands, so those who do not obey or you know, are stubborn, refuse to obey the word. So you see that in the first verse. So it deals primarily with these wives, uh, but uh, it's no secret. Whether both spouses believe or not, marriage is hard, okay? It's challenging. So even if it's maybe wife uh, is a believer, husband is not, or vice versa, or both are. Both are believers committed, even you know, helping out, serving in ministry or whatnot. This is for all of us, okay? Unmarried, married, Christian or not. It's not a treatise on marriage, but it will be helpful. So with that, I thought just to share all that as a setup and say, shall we posture our hearts? Just to listen, uh, where it may be sensitive, where it may be loaded, where it may be hard to accept or hear, uh, whether you are a wife, husband, or not. Um, let me just lead us in prayer, and I invite you to really posture your heart in a listening posture towards not me, but the Holy Spirit. All right. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that you teach us. Uh, through revelation, through life, uh, through community. And so this morning, as we come as your people, we lean in to hear what you are saying and where there may be pain, where there may be struggle, where there may be frustration, where there may be um, negative emotions. Um, we pray that you help us to really hear you and uh, respond to you honestly and out of a place of faith. And with that, we posture ourselves to hear your voice to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So just so to give you an overview, what we'll do is based on these three truths about biblical submission, we're going to ask the question, how do I respond and reflect Christ in my marriage? Okay or the marriage that I will have. First up, now notice in the passage, this is talking about married women to be subject to their own husbands. Okay, important to point out. It's not saying, now all women be subject to all men. Okay, uh, get that. If someone comes over and say, hey, Girl, you know, the Bible says, no, it doesn't say that, okay? Uh, this passage is saying, wives, be subject to your own husband, okay? Not women, be subject to all men, all right? Um, but what we do see is just like government and employment, there is order and there is function, even if relationally there is a structure uh, that God sets in as institution, right? Human institution. And there is a call to be subject with implicit obedience in there, right? So think of like, you know, ruler situation. You're a citizen and there's government, um, there's order, there's function. Even with, you know, with our understanding, although it's very mysterious as a concept with, with, you know, with the Trinity, God as Trinity, there is um, function, there is kind of like this, the, the relationship uh, 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 in the Trinity. And in Peter's era, now, under the Roman law, husbands had all the rights, while wives had all the obligations, to put it quite extremely. Basically, someone put it this way, legal, you, know, you can have a legal wife for childbearing, concubine for pleasure, mistress for adventure. Now, if you find yourself wondering, wow, oh, so nice to be married during that time, don't, don't raise your hand, okay? Don't, <laughs> don't want to know, but maybe not, okay? It's not that easy to deal with three women, but in your lives. <laughs> no, but, in the first, first, first century woman uh, who comes into faith and believes in Jesus, 
Uh, although generally it seems to be understood that our wives would adopt the husband's religion, it's not always so. And you can see an example of that in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 to 13. Uh, so sometimes there will be different religion. So in, in this case, Peter is speaking hopefully to benefit the first century woman. One, now that I'm a Christian, okay, how do I follow my non-Christian husband? Or should I leave my husband? Should I still, how should I be uh, relating to my spouse? Right? Should I still be subject? So why does Peter address the wives mostly? Because the context is about submission. He's not addressing employers. He's em addressing employees. He's not addressing the government uh, leaders, he's addressing the citizens. So in the same way, likewise, he's addressing the wives and not the husbands first, okay? It does not mean that there's something innately wrong with women or, or wives. It does not mean that. I think, you know, it's just all of us have this sin nature. All of us struggle with submission. Let's admit that. Let's be honest, okay? Men too, husbands too, right? We all have that. And so whether it, if the husband was the wife and the wife was the husband, the husband would have difficulty with this submission thing too, right? It's the same. It's part of our sin nature. Now, but, so some people, as you know, you know, you need to keep things real simple, okay? Not make it too sophisticated. Don't make it too complex. Just one basic idea. Just one liner. Very easy. So I think, you know, it's not an insult that there are six verses in this passage for the wives and just one for the husbands. I think, you know, for husbands, you kind of just need to keep it simple. <laughs> just one, just one verse. But you know, wives can take it. It's more sophisticated. We can take six verses. Come on, give us the details. Kind of like what do you do with your hair? Down to the practical detail. But for the husbands, just one line, simple. Okay. But <laughs> I thought that was funny. But I heard someone say it. But so this passage, right, again, when we talk about submission of wife to husband, I want to again strengthen the fact that it's not an ontological difference. Okay. We are not like as wives inferior. Okay. It is a matter of function, not ontology. So like Jesus figure he in Luke chapter 2 verse 51 was submitted to his parents. Was Jesus in essence any less than his parents? Of course not, right? He's Jesus, okay? Luke 2 51 and he went down with his parents and he was submissive to them. 1 Corinthians 15 28 tells us when all things are subject to him then the son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. So Christ, in other words, Christ made himself subject to the father, okay? And it is a matter of function and relationship. And just as leadership uh, is not about superiority, Okay, submission is not about inferiority, right? And submission can be consistent, therefore, with equality in importance and dignity and honor, right? That's why it is. So therefore, use your power to bless and serve is my point number one. So both wives and husbands, use your power to bless and serve your spouse because you are not inferior, Neither are husbands superior, but that you are serving and blessing each other. Are we good? Yes, I can hear you distantly. Second, second point is this. Grow in holiness and trust in God. What do I mean by this? This is because submission is ultimately premised on God's authority, right? Not men. So when we look at verse 2, right, it says there, when you see your, when they see, when husbands see the wives' respectful and pure conduct. And, and, and the understanding here is it's not a glance. It's not glancing or like a, a quick glimpse. Uh, it's basically watching, to view very attentively, to observe uh, their respectful and pure conduct. Or in other words, to, to, to view attentively the pure manner of life of their wives, which is accompanied by a reverential fear. Right? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, uh, we see the importance of how Peter was calling the exiles to live holy in all our conduct. Right? 
in not just part of your life, not just in like this sphere, this sphere, but in all of your conduct. And in chapter 2, verse 12, Peter already gave this background of like, not, not before he went into marriage, he was talking about keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, you know, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That means there is this power of godly conduct that we are to be aware of. And so is, is Peter putting down um, braiding hair? I don't think so. Is he saying you cannot have gold jewelry? No. Uh, it is, because you, is it because he's saying you don't need to wear clothes? Obviously not, right? Uh, so he's not saying uh, uh, do not adorn. He's not saying don't do these. He's saying but let your inner, the hidden person of the heart of a gentle and quiet spirit be your emphasis. If you are to adorn on the external, be sure that you back it up with this internal adornment that brings out the hidden beauty of the spirit of this new self, this new creation that now you know Christ. Let it come out and be seen so that your husbands do not just see, does not just see your external adornment, although it's good to look good, yeah, but that you are adorned with this now putting on Christ, this beauty that emanates from within. And we know that outward beauty is fleeting, but what is truly beautiful is within. So let it come out, Peter is saying. Let it come out along with whatever else you do with your hair, your makeup, or whatever it is. Let your adornment, let your time and energy and all the focus spent uh, be more about this gentle and quiet spirit. Now I know what many of the wives are thinking. Okay, you're looking at verse 4, and you're like, hmm, this is a tough call. I was just preparing this message, and a couple of days ago, I sat down with my husband, and I said, you know, dear, you know when you read verse 4, it says that you're adorning of this, you know, your heart of this imperishable beauty with a gentle and quiet spirit. I looked at him squarely in the eyes and I say, do you think that I have a gentle and quiet spirit? There was a long silence. <laughs> there was like this silence. Well, uh, well, okay, I won't proceed to tell like the content of the conversation, but just to say sometimes, you know, more than words, right? But <laughs> Now, in my home, I am often quiet. I am more the quiet one. But, you know, when I'm quiet, my kids know something's up. Like, mommy's quiet. Shh, shh, shh. Mommy's talking. Mommy's talking. She's quiet. She's watching quietly. That's the danger sign. But am I gentle when I'm quiet? I don't know. Okay. Uh, different, different vibe. Different vibe. But I, I, I'm just saying that when we read verse 4, we're like going to dismiss this, like, you know, not demure, I'm not docile that way. Some of us feel that way, right? Some of you know you're just um, this saintly, you know, uh, wife, but I think most of us are not. And so when we read this, a gentle and quiet spirit, we get tripped up. Um, but the, the idea is, it's not that when you have a gentle and quiet spirit, uh, you don't make noise, okay? Like, you know, joy. You can be loud, okay? But you have a gentle and quiet spirit. <laughs> it's fine, yeah. Or it, it doesn't mean that you cannot have a strong personality. It doesn't mean that, but it means to be not contentious. It means to be not like quarrelsome and, you know, this is just different. So the spirit is one that we can cultivate just like adorning of what we focus on the outside all the more we cultivate this as a spirit inside. And there is a power and a beauty in our godly conduct. But submit often is a dirty word, okay? Whatever uh, uh, your role is, we seek freedom and rights, especially in our, in our modern society, right? Uh, we seek the sense of freedom and it's like, my way, right? This is how I like to do it. It's just me, law. This is my personality, you know, don't try and change me or, you know, this is, I'm just being true and real. But so 
I want to just add to that. I think just like you see in verse 25 in chapter 2, right? It, Peter talks about how we can, uh, we were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd. You see that verse there? This understanding of straying is almost like, uh, you know, this wanting our own way, right? All of us have sinned and, and, and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have strayed from the ways of God. And sometimes when we seek our freedom and our rights and our privileges, it can be a counterfeit sort of freedom. Because I want to say that submission is premised upon the ultimate authority of God. So our understanding of true freedom in, and true rights in marriage ought to be more occupied with God rather than our self-interest, right? The outline of Bible usage uh, has this, that puts it very, uh, very well. In the Old Testament, the meek are those wholly relying on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. Gentleness or meekness is the opposite to self-assertiveness and self-interest. It stems from trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. The gentle person is not occupied with self at all, this is a work of the Holy Spirit, not of the human will. And I tell you, such a person is attractive to bits, right? Very attractive. Someone who understands what it means to have strength under control. This meekness is the very same way that Jesus used to describe himself. And the one time that Jesus talked about his heart, he talks about him being gentle and lowly of heart, right? Matthew eleven twenty nine. we see this, where Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And even later on, when we look at further down verse uh, chapter 3 after this week, is we're going to see that when we talk to non-believers, we do it with gentleness and respect, we grow in holiness and trust in God, is what I'm saying, just like the example of Sarah. Now, does that mean when we are in abusive situation or really toxic, abusive situation, uh, what, what do you say to that? Like in a marriage like that, whether it is physical uh, uh, or verbal, whatever it is, okay? Uh, I'm not going into that if that's a question that really well, bothers you, want to talk about, do reach out, we can speak with you, but I'm not talking about that. But I'm not saying that, that's, that's why I'm also saying that when we grow in holiness and trust in God, it is based on the truth that submission is upon the ultimate authority of God. We are not called to be totally, completely submitted to human institution. We are called to submit, but the ultimate authority is God. So there are situations where we need to relook what this submission looks like under the ultimate authority of God. Are you okay? All right. We're just on number two. Great. Now, when I grew up, there was a period of time when my parents um, had a lot of disagreements. There was shouting in the house, um, a lot of un unpeaceful situations, very tense. Uh, and although it was not abusive, uh, there were times when I would feel a great deal of fear and a great deal of just insecurity and just very unsafe. And I remember telling myself as I grew up, became a teenager, and started you know, hanging out with more guys, I'm like, you know, I never want to get married, okay? And uh, for a couple of years, I was like that. Uh, I would date um, casually, but the idea of marriage was one that I vowed I'm not gonna get married, okay? That's not a good thing, not fun. I don't see any good coming out of it. I'm not getting married. Um, so over the years, as I uh, joined ministry and I served God and you know, witnessed a lot of the ups and downs that the couples in my church went through, the bad examples, good examples, yeah, the whole spectrum, uh, God changed my heart. And I went through prayers and just like, God, heal my heart. Uh, help me deal with this inner vow, right? And so God has led me through a journey with that. Uh, and so one time, uh, someone who came and did teaching at my church uh, back then uh, in, in Malaysia was a statement that stuck with me that never went away. Marriage is not for your happiness. And I don't know what I was thinking because it's not like I was ideally thinking marriage is all happy. 
But I looked at him shocked, like, what, how, what? You know, marriage is for your holiness. It's not for happiness. Oh, I'm going to chew on that. And so I chewed on that for a period of time, and I found it to be true all the more after I got married. Amen. And <laughs> no greater crucible than a married life, I'll say, for, for our spirituality. But it's, it's, it's frustrating, but it's fun, and it's very formative at the same time. Wow, all Fs. Okay. But Witzma, I want to say uh, this thing from Ken Witzma in his book, Pursuing Justice, who says this. The call to follow Christ invites us into a sacrificial way of loving that will transform all of our relationships. Why do we think it doesn't include our married life? Of course, it should transform the way that we relate, right? The sacrificial way. And we think about sacrifice, whether it's Jesus' sacrifice, people's sacrifice. We usually, maybe we don't say it, but we're thinking, yeah, sacrifice is great. Sacrifice for me, right? We're thinking other people's sacrifice, not us, right? When Colossians 3, 11 to 12, you know, but Peter is trying to say uh, in this uh, uh, text and in Colossians 3, Paul tries to say, it's not just wives submit as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It's not just a one-way sacrifice, it is two. And when you get very happy, right, husbands, you see like, yeah, you know, yeah, submit, you know, I'm the husband. Although some may be like, it's pressure because it's leadership, but it's meant to be, I want to encourage you husbands, God empowers you uh, as the one as a husband in your marriage, not just it's not just pressure and responsibility. Okay, God empowers you in your role as husbands as well, and empowers the wives, you wives, to do this submission and honor thing together. Right in Ephesians five, it says they're very nice, right? Wives submit, but you know what? It says husbands, lay down your life, lay down your lives. No, no two way about it just as Christ laid down his life for the church. So husbands, lay down your lives. Wives, suddenly the wives submit. It's like, well, okay, easy, you can do. Okay, husbands, lay down your life, okay? Uh, uh, you know, but the call to die, the call to discipleship is ultimately for all of us. The sacrifice, the sacrificial way of loving that should transform all of our relationships. So one, we submit uh, out of the understanding that we use our power to bless and serve. And second, that we are to grow in holiness and trust in God, whether you are wife or husband. I'm going to try and close uh, on time. <clears throat> now, the third one is this. Pursue doing good and restoration. What do I mean by that? Throughout Peter's letter, you see this idea of doing good everywhere. He's, he sprinkles it here and there uh, in his letter. Right? He talks about uh, uh, submitting, and he mentions in chapter 2, verse 15, foolish people. That means you know your submission involves foolish people. And then chapter 2, verse 20, it says... Do good and suffer for it. And though I don't really think that it's a great joke, but you know that when they say, you know, that in weddings, in marriages, there are three rings? <laughs> wow, very loud, yeah? Okay. <laughs> Engagement ring, you've got a wedding ring, and then the third one is? Liberation ring. Suffering, ah! Suffering. But, <laughs> but it's... it's it's funny because it's true, right? It's true, but in this passage, all the more you can't deny it. Before Peter is talking about wives submit and husbands honor, he's talking about Christ suffering, you know? And then after this passage, after verse 7 that we're looking at in chapter 3, he's going to go on and launch into a whole section on suffering. It's like sandwiched between suffering, okay, and enduring pain and, and injustice. Uh, I guess that it, it came from there, the idea. But our current attitude towards marriage is this. Submission is to be contested, right, in marriage. Uh, most of the time, whether it's romantic notions, you want self-fulfillment, a marriage there is a commodification of marriage. Like, it's a social transaction. I put in and I expect to get stuff out of it, 
right? Um, it's not the sense of covenantal marriage that God institutes for marriage and family. But we see as exiles, our attitude is to be different. We are to be patient, long-suffering. So it takes time, watching over time. It is purposeful. Even when it doesn't seem like it's coming to any good or is profitable to you, uh, it is purposeful because the ultimate vision of your marriage is God and what God wants to do in the two of you, in your marriage and your children that you will have or may have, and the people around you, right? It's purposeful. Your marriage is not just for the sake of the people in the, this human marriage, but God is in the picture. And when God is in the picture, there is a heavenly hope and a vision for our marriages and for our families. And so that is an exilic attitude that is counter to our climate now uh, towards marriage and in marriage in our submission God calls us to have an attitude that's not retaliative in the steps of Christ not contentious and also an attitude that is reverent ultimately to God and the will of God so when we talk about honor right this uh, Peter is laying an obligation that is almost unheard of on husbands He's saying that women do not bear all the obligations, but husbands, you have an obligation to honor your wife because she is a co-heir of that spiritual privilege that God gives and the grace of life. You are to honor, and that word means to pay a price or to hold in high esteem, to have deference, which, by the way, can be defined as attentiveness, respect, thoughtfulness, Submission and reverence. You are to give deference to your wives. Basically, in short, you're submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ. So in situations where you disagree, decisions, whatever, sometimes a posture that the husband should have that is honoring to God and her is that she wins. Now what that looks like, I'll let you all talk about it at home. But, you know, think about that for a minute. Sometimes the way that she wins is the process by which God is sanctifying your marriage towards his purpose. So it's not just about right and wrong in the decisions and the matters that you're making, who is more important or who's whatever it is. It's not. But you've got to see beyond that what is your attitude and your deference towards each other. Well, you know, sometimes we say, well, he doesn't deserve my submission or she doesn't deserve my honor, right? Let's be real. There are times I've thought that. Who is he, huh? You know, doesn't deserve it. I could have... If you want me to submit, then you do this, right? And we do that in our marriage. But again, it's all about God. It's not about my self-interest. And where God's teaching is obeyed, there is honor. There is dignity and there is change in our hearts. And being weak is not something that is bad in God's economy. And being meek is not one of inferiority. We've already said. So submission is really for influence. Why? Because ultimately God is doing something more than all that you two see in your marriage. There is good that is to come out of this. Yes, there's a lot of chauvinism. Yes, there's a lot of subtle ways that, you know, that, that we mistreat each other or in marriage or outside of marriage. But when we seek to empower each other and honor and something, create an environment where true submission and freedom and, and honor can be done, right? Out of voluntary hearts, it honors God. When submission and honor are done right, God is glorified, not just in our families, not just in our marriages, in our land. People can see the exiles are different. And we got to understand that God contends for our marriages and our families more than we do. And sometimes we have to learn to carry that hopefulness because in and of ourselves, we don't see possibility. You're stuck at a deadlock, okay? But God has a vision for our marriage. Why? Because it's about His kingdom. It's not about us. It's about, it's, you know, die to self is very real every day. Why do we think it's exempt in our married life? I was having a text conversation that 
I thought it was pretty casual. I was talking with someone who was saying, you know, oh, how's your house reno and stuff like that. Then, you know, she asked, um, so how are you? You know, how are you lately? So I said, yeah, you know, uh, in the midst of thinking through this particular decision and it's just been, you know, real painful. I just feel like, oh, I need to die to self. Then her very quick response was, don't you do that every day? I'm like, I guess I don't. <laughs> but it's a good reminder. And sometimes we forget. It is for what? Doing good for our own good? No. It's for the restoration of what God wants to see in our world. Same with our marriage. When we submit to government, when we submit to you know, situations of employment, uh, when we submit our marriages and our families, God is doing something beyond us for his kingdom and for restoration. And that is exactly what Peter was trying to undergird by saying, point now and I'll end soon. The example that he gave was Christ. Look with me again, chapter 2, verses 21 to 24. When uh, Peter is talking about the example of Christ, he is saying, hey, you've been called to this. Christ suffered for you. He committed no sin. He was sinless, faultless, blameless in every way. But when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He did it all so that we would be healed for our restoration. And when this kind of pain exists in our married life or in any relationship, we're like, why do I have to bear the brunt of it? Why do I have to give way first? Jesus did. Does it sound nice? No. Is it a good idea to get married? Some days I say no. But it's a gospel issue. It's not about you. It's not a good idea for your sake. It is the gospel of the kingdom of God. That is the issue for our marriage, for all of our relationships, for all of our lives. And that is our call, our opportunity, our shared and mutual equal privilege to participate in the work that God is doing. And you may say, hey, you know, that's far from what I see in my marriage right now. And some days that's how I feel. That's normal, as human. And that's why we need to remember, God, we need you. We need to fix our eyes, set our hope fully on Jesus, right? We set our hope fully on him. Now, I want to share it with you that God contends for our marriage. So now I'm going to speak to you. If you are married and you're listening to this, and, you know, most of this is like, you know, dude, like, this is nowhere near what we're experiencing. I've, like, lost hope or whatever. No way you can just do that, okay? Janice, not for me. Not for my home. You don't understand. You're right. I don't. But does that mean God doesn't contend for your marriage and the way that he has put you and your spouse together? No. I would never dare to take that place to tell you that God is contending for your marriage. And if you are struggling, I want to encourage you this day that God is able to empower you to obey because he has instructed it, he empowers you. He enables us to walk and following his steps. Reach out and I encourage you to go for prayer uh, later in the prayer room or, you know, look out for an older couple. They don't have to be perfect. They just need to have experience more than you to tell you how they have done some wrong things and how they've done some things right. Look for an older couple. Seek out mentoring. Ask questions. Work things out together. Argue prayerfully with constructive moments. Work it out. Ask God for help. Seek mentoring. Trust God. Okay? And for those of you, perhaps you are in a pretty good place. You're like, we're doing fine. Our marriage is okay. Not that bad. Huh? But you know, I know a lot of us are, we're just coping. We're still married. The connection is somewhat still there. But then I invite you to take a step further. What does it look like? 
where both of you deepen your understanding of this submission unto God and each other. What would that look like? What does God want to do with you and through you? Is that a question that you'd love to ask? If yes, then also take time to pray into it with your spouse this week. So with that, uh, I just want to invite you to just close your eyes for a moment as the worship team comes up and leads us a song uh, in a moment. Wherever you are as you're listening to this, like I described, if you are that one and you're just like, God, I don't know, man, my marriage, it's hard, but if you can, join hands with your spouse, sit together, and just lean in together. Don't take this lightly. God, help. If you're at a place in your marriage where you don't even know how you can grow together and flourish anymore, can I just challenge you? Don't give up. God put you together and so lean in together. I'm just going to let Holy Spirit take over where you are in your homes, wherever room you're in right now. Those of you who you know, maybe are not married, but just join me together and pray for couples that you know, couples in our church, couples that you relate with. Holy Spirit, would you just meet with us those married couples together right now, meet with us right where we are. We don't want to sidestep this, all that we've talked about. It's not a fun topic. But with all that's been said, you know, brush aside all the things that are not important right now. Just Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in our marriages? God, where there is hurt, I pray you enable us to walk through it, work through it, express it to each other, talk about it, help us to seek help and to receive help, to set aside our self-interest and to allow you, God, to really be that ultimate authority. God, where there is pain still or like press baggage or stuff that you're surfacing now or the things that we've just been tolerating with each other, God, would you help us be helped? God, we just look to you, Holy Spirit, encounter us even this coming week as we sit on this. Some parts have been hard to say and hard to hear. But God, help us respond with obedience and faith to you and to submit to each other. To walk in holiness so that the world may know that we are your disciples. And God, we pray we don't just want to tolerate. Help us to thrive as exiles, as people struggling to live in this strange world that is hard and harsh. Would you help us and let our marriages and our families be that strong base from which truly others will be blessed. That is our prayer as a church and that is my prayer for you, brothers and sisters. And so Lord, we look to you. We say, yes, Holy Spirit, help us. Not in an overnight way, but help us to just really lean in and be willing and listen. And so with that, we commit our hearts to you as a church and our families, our marriages to you. Amen. In Jesus' name.